morning. My name is Luke, and I am one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and it is great to be with you guys this morning. Um, if you're new here, uh, we're really glad that you're here. If this is your first time, uh, you should have been able to get a bulletin on your way in, and on the back of that, there's a Connect With Us card, and so uh, feel free to fill that out, and then what you can do is you can leave it at the connections table at the end of the service, and we'd love to be able to follow up with you, know how we can pray for you, uh, and just get to know you a little bit better. So with that, let's go to God in prayer before we begin. Lord, we do believe that you speak, and we believe that you speak through your word. And so we do come, Lord, and we ask that you would speak this morning, that, Lord, it would not be the mere words of a man, but, Lord, that as we open up your word, that we would hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of you who know me know that one of my favorite singers, one of my favorite songwriters, is a guy named Andrew Peterson. Uh, Andrew Peterson uh, writes not only songs, he also writes stories, and he's been a big impact on our family, even before we knew really who he was. So my wife and I, our first dance was to one of Andrew Peterson's songs at our wedding. We didn't know who he was. We just saw someone post this song. We really liked it, and so we did it. And we've actually been shaped by him. So our kids have read his Wingfeather Saga. So if you guys have kids, you know, around the age of 6 to 13, the Wingfeather Saga, great, great stories that show God's faithful care through well-told stories. Uh, we have sing some of his songs at church even. So we sing the song, Is He Worthy? And his song, his albums, Resurrection Letters, have been incredibly helpful for me as I live in hope of Jesus' return and the new creation that Jesus will bring. And one of the reasons why I so appreciate Andrew Peterson is that he helps me to live as one of God's children in God's world. That he is very helpful for me in living as a creature under the good hand of a father. In fact, he has songs that are instinctively designed to teach this. So one of my favorite songs from him is a song called Don't You Want to Thank Someone. Here's how it starts. It says, can't you feel it in your bones? Something isn't right here. Something that you've always known, but you don't know why. Because every time the sun goes down, we face another night here, waiting for the world to spin around just to survive. But when you see the morning sun burning through a silver mist, don't you want to thank someone? Don't you want to thank someone for this? We, we live in a world that is not the way it ought to be. We feel the effects of sin. We feel the effects of the fall all around us. And yet, every time we go to bed, if we're perfectly honest, we have no promise that we're going to wake up in the morning. You might die in your sleep. And so when you wake up in the morning and you see the sunrise, it's a reminder that there is someone watching over us. There is a faithful creator who preserves and protects his people. And instinctively, we want to say thank you. Even if we don't know who to thank. We want to respond with gratitude. 
We're continuing this morning our study through the book of Ezra, looking at Ezra chapter 8. And Ezra 8 is all about showing how God faithfully provides for his people and how his people respond in grateful worship. So the main thing that we're going to see is that as God's people actively depend upon God, God shows his faithfulness. As God's people actively depend upon God for his provision and protection, God shows himself to be faithful. Our depending upon God is a means of seeing God's faithfulness. Or to put it another way, if we don't depend upon God, we won't recognize God's faithfulness. And to see this, we're going to be spending most of our time in verses 21 through 35 in Ezra 8, looking at three headings. The first is confident dependence. The second is faithful provision. And the third is grateful worship. But before we look at those, we want to see some context. So last week we saw that God had put in the heart of the Persian king Artaxerxes the desire to send Ezra back into the promised land that God had given to make sure that right worship happens in the land. We saw this and we see how Ezra responds to this good news at the end of chapter 7. Ezra says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. So that's how chapter 7 ends. Chapter 8 begins. If you have your Bibles open, you can see there's a list of these leading men. So there's a list of names, and these are the people who are going with Ezra back to the promised land. And what's so amazing about this list that we may not recognize is with the exception of just a couple people, all of these people going back into the land are joining their family members who had gone 80 years earlier under Cyrus's initial decree. We read that earlier in the book of Ezra. And so these people going back into the land isn't just a sign of people going on a journey. It's a sign of God's faithfulness to his promise. They are joining the people who went earlier in hope, and they are being reunited with their family members. It's a picture of reunification. It's a picture of God's faithfulness. But there's a a problem for Ezra because as he looks at the people who are going to go back into the land, he notices that a group is missing. There aren't any Levites present. There aren't any descendants of Levi. Look at verse 15. Ezra says, I gathered them to the river that runs to the Ahava, and there we camped for three days. And as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. This is a problem because verse 17 tells us and shows us, and the rest of the Old Testament shows us, that the Levites were given a specific job from God to serve as ministers in the temple. So Ezra is going back into the land to make sure that there's right worship happening. But under the Old Covenant, you couldn't have right worship if you didn't have Levites. They were specifically called by God to serve in the temple. 
And so Ezra sees this and says, well, we need to address this. And, and he asks the people of Israel to send some Levites to go with them. And they do. And then Ezra prepares to leave. And that's where we come in verses 21 through 24 to our first heading, confident dependence. Listen to verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. Remember, Ezra is going back into the land with all of this money, all of these animals that the king is sending with him. He says, I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God for good is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. This passage opens up a little bit, Ezra's own heart and Ezra's own mind as he was asking the king and as he was preparing for this journey. Ezra approached King Artaxerxes with confidence. He said, God's hand is for good on those who seek him. He said, God will watch over us, so we don't need your soldiers. We don't need your horsemen. Ezra knew what the scriptures taught, and he goes completely confident in what the scriptures teach, which is that God is faithful to his promise. In fact, in his confidence, Ezra even says, it would have been shameful for me to say, God is with us. We are confident. By the way, we need some soldiers. We need some horsemen. He would have been ashamed to ask that. Ezra and the people were doing what God had called them to do. And so Ezra trusted God. He took God at his word to do what God had promised. Now, the Bible teaches over and over again that God uses means to accomplish his purposes. Planning is not a bad thing, right? It's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to make plans. And it would not have necessarily been wrong for Ezra to take with him a group of soldiers to protect him. Just like it's not necessarily wrong for you to lock your house at night or for you to lock your car when you leave it. I'm not saying, God will watch over my house. I shall leave it unlocked. It wouldn't have been wrong for Ezra to do it. So why didn't Ezra do this? It's not wrong to make plans. It's not wrong to use means, but it is wrong to trust in those means. To have those plans and those means be the source of your confidence. To act as if they are our ultimate provision and not God. And it is right, hear me church, it is right to take earthly risks in appropriate ways so that people would see the goodness and the glory of God's faithfulness. It is right to do things that sometimes the world looks at and says, why would you do that? That's foolishness. Because you know God's promise and you know his faithfulness and you want 
to show him to be glorious. I think that's what Ezra is doing here. He is asking a pagan king to go back into the land. This is a king who defines his strength based upon the size of his army. He has conquered kingdoms. He trusts in his army. And Ezra says, you are not greater than God. You could offer me no more protection than God. God is the one who will watch over his people. In this way, I think Ezra is embodying what David proclaimed in Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is showing Artaxerxes God is faithful. And so I'm not going to ask you for soldiers. I want you to see. I want the people going with me to see God's faithfulness to his promise. He is confident before the king. But confidence is not the same thing as arrogance. And it's not the same thing as presumption. Ezra, in his confidence, doesn't want to be proven wrong. He doesn't want to be ashamed. So what does he do in his confidence? God will watch over us. What does he do? He actively depends upon God. He goes to God as his source of strength. He humbles himself before God and seeks God's protection through fasting and praying. You are dependent upon God. That means you need God for every area of your life, whether you recognize it or not. You exist this morning by God's will. Christians, though, don't merely know this. Christians live as if we are dependent upon God. We take steps to actively depend upon God. We don't assume that we know what is best for our lives. So we go to God's word and we depend upon what he has said. We don't assume that we're the ones who can meet all of our needs by our own ability. So we depend upon God by going to him in prayer and asking for him to provide. We don't assume, in fact, we know that we are not strong, we are weak and we are needy. And so we humble ourselves and depend upon God's direction through prayer and fasting. All of this means that we can live confident in God because we are depending upon him in our lives. Our dependence upon God actively shows our confidence in God. It is not arrogance. It is confident dependence. But sometimes it's possible not to be confidently dependent, but to actually be presumptuous. And this is tricky because they can look similar at times. You can look at someone and, and based upon the words that they say, they may say, yes, we know that God is in control of all things. We know that God is faithful to keep his word. We know that God blesses his people as they walk in obedience to him. They can say all the right things, but in reality, they're actually being presumptuous rather than dependent. We presume that God must give his blessing in the way that we want, which shows that we are actually saying we're the ones who are in charge. We're telling God what to do. Bless us, God. 
rather than actively depend upon God, we instead do what we want and what we think is best and assume that God's going to bless it. We don't go to God in active prayer. We claim promises that God never actually made. We, we make decisions as if we're in charge. We seek his blessing in prayer for desires that are sinful, <laughs> that we shouldn't want. We'll move cities. We'll take jobs. We'll make investments all along claiming God's blessing when in reality we're arrogant. We're not going to his word or his people for counsel. We're not seeking his glory above all things. We're not seeking the good of his people and those around us. We're seeking our glory, our fame, our status. Bless us, God. In doing so, we're actually presuming upon God, which ironically is not dependence. We are being independent, saying, God, you work for me. You do what I want. We live as if God served us rather than us serving God. What confident dependence does is it aligns with God's will. It aligns with living in a way that God has revealed to us through his word. We see that in Ezra. Ezra not only depended upon God in prayer and fasting, Ezra depended upon God in faithful obedience to God. So he got the Levites because he knew that was God's will. And when he gives the priest the responsibility, what Brenda read for us, the responsibility to make sure that the offering for the temple is protected, he was doing so in line with what God had given. That was the job God gave to the priests. Ezra didn't say, whoa, look, we know you guys are priests. You guys didn't go to business school. So the accountants are the ones who actually need to make sure that all this money gets there. No, the priests were the ones that God had given to be able to keep and guard the offering for the temple. So Ezra is not just depending upon God in prayer. He's living independence upon God's word, trusting God at what he has said. When we obey God, God has said in faith, we actively depend upon God, and God shows himself to be faithful, which is what leads to our next heading, faithful provision. We saw in verse 23 that God listened to his people's request, and we see in verse 31 that God answers their prayers. Ezra says, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. Now, God may have protected his people whether they depended upon him actively or not. God is a merciful God. He gives us things that we don't deserve. But what would not have happened is if his people hadn't depended upon him, they wouldn't have recognized that he was the source of their provision. They would have failed to see the way that he answered their prayers because they wouldn't have been praying in the first place. Instead, Ezra might have been tempted to pat himself on the back and say, man, I sure planned this really well. Good route, safe route, navigated it perfectly, didn't get lost on the way. Ezra, if he wouldn't have been depending upon God, would have missed that, yeah, maybe Ezra took a good route. Maybe Ezra navigated it perfectly. 
but God was the one who kept the enemies from attacking them. It wasn't Ezra. He would have been blind to the glory of God's faithfulness. Church, if we do not actively depend upon God, then we will miss all the ways that God shows himself to be faithful because we'll be blind to it. God is faithful whether you know it or not. He is good whether you recognize it or not. But when you lean into his faithfulness, you see the many ways that he shows himself to be faithful because your eyes are open and you are attuned to it. Over the course of the last two years, our church has become very aware of our dependence upon God day in and day out. I've shared, for those of you who are members, I've shared at most of our quarterly member meetings that I have learned not to take it for granted that our church exists. I just have. We were not even three years old before COVID. COVID has been John and I's almost entire pastorate, right? We moved here eight months before COVID hit. So the fact that we exist, that there are people in this room, forget that this room is here, but the fact that we exist as a church is grace. God is showing himself to be faithful. We've had so many ups and downs. We've had our elder council cut in half due to people moving away. We've relocated to different times in different services. We've had green pass for 14 days, green pass for 30 days, green pass for 14 days again. No green pass, Lord willing. May it be, Lord. We have depended upon God throughout all of this. We've hosted Bible studies on Zoom. We've been restricted in home gatherings. And yet, God over and over and over again has shown himself to be faithful. He has kept us. He has preserved us. And that doesn't change because we're back at the convention center. We are still incredibly needy. In fact, we are no more or less dependent upon God than we were at the most intense stages of the pandemic. We are equally dependent upon God. But rather than grumble about things that still not are the way that we want them to be, we should lean into God and see the ways that God has provided and that God has kept us. May our church not only be known as a preaching church, but as a praying church, as a church that leans into God, asking him to provide what we need. One of the ways that I've had the privilege of seeing this over the last three years is that I've been in a Bible study with Brenda. And for those of you who are in our Bible study, you know that Brenda writes down every prayer request in a prayer journal. See, sometimes what can often happen, and I'm just as guilty of this, is I will hear a prayer request, and I may pray for it in the moment, but then it's in one ear, out the other, and I forget to pray about it. The worst is when I say that I'll pray for it, and I don't pray for it. But Brenda writes it down and follows up to see if it's been answered. And what that has done, not over the course of a week, but over the course of three years, has allowed not just for Brenda, but allowed for us to see all the ways that God answers prayer. Because if we don't pray persistently, if we don't pray dependently, then what happens is God may answer that prayer and we miss it. 
But when we lean into God day in and day out, we see the many ways that God has provided. And Brenda, in our Bible study, has a crossed-off list of prayer requests that testify to God's faithfulness. And all this leads to our final heading, grateful worship. Grateful worship. The way that we respond to God's provision is with grateful worship. God brought his people back from exile into the land he promised, and they worship. Verse 35 says, At that time, those who had come from the captivity, the returned exiles, they offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All of this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They worshiped because they saw that God had kept his promise. Their grateful worship shows the worth of Christ. It shows the worth of God, that he is the source of their blessing, that he is the one who has provided for us, that he deserves our praise because he is the one we are dependent upon. In the whole logic of the Bible, One of the reasons why it's so good to read the Bible day in and day out is because it reminds us that God is faithful to his promise. It shows us that we can trust God to provide what he promises. Everything around us is meant to point us to God's faithfulness as a provider. You may be here this morning and you may not even believe in God. Or you may say that you believe in God, but you don't actively live in God you are no less dependent upon God for provision. And God has provided for you, whether you know it or not. The Bible teaches that God sends the sun and the rain on everyone. He doesn't just give it to those who actively depend upon him. He sends it on the just and the unjust. Jesus teaches that in Matthew 40, in Matthew 5:45, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Rain is grace. It's mercy. The sun came up again today. Undeserved kindness. And it's not just for your physical needs. You're dependent upon God for everything. First Corinthians says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything we have was given to us. Our life is gifted to us. All of our lives is one of gracious provision from God. He is the faithful provider. He is a generous provider. And he has provided the best thing for us in his son. This is what we see in Romans 8. Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Apart from Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and condemned in our sins. Do you know what every one of us in this room deserves? We deserve damnation. We don't deserve the son. We don't deserve rain. We deserve curse. We deserve to die forever and ever. 
because we have rebelled against the God who is gracious to us. And yet, God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die in our place, to take our damnation, to become a curse for us so that in him we might be blessed. That when we go to Jesus in faith saying, I believe it. I believe that I deserve to die and yet you've given your life for me. That we don't get God's curse, we get God's favor and blessing. Who did that? God himself. God was the one who provided Jesus. And what Romans 8 reminds us is that if God provided the thing we needed most, if God reminded the, provided the best thing for us, then we can trust him to provide lesser things. If he didn't withhold his only son, why would he withhold what we need day in and day out for our daily bread? We can trust him for lesser provisions as we walk in his will. And this is how confident dependence embodies faith in the gospel. This is why confident dependence lives out the gospel. The gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, doesn't just shape the way we get to heaven. It shapes the way we live on earth in the moment, right now. We live confidently depending upon God's provision. God faithfully gives his provision. He meets our needs. We respond in grateful worship. Moment by moment, dependence, provision, worship. Dependence, provision, worship. We live out our faith in the gospel moment by moment. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God sent Jesus. We were utterly dependent upon him for grace. God did it. He sent Christ. And we lean into that dependence by acknowledging it. And we respond to that dependence and provision with grateful worship. Over and over again, the same faith that brought us to salvation shapes the way that we live as we grow in holiness day in and day out. Because at the end of the day, we are confident in our dependence because of Christ. We are not confident in our dependence because, by golly, we just believe enough. You can believe enough in the wrong things and they won't work. We are confident in our dependence because Jesus is the one who gives us confidence. He pays for our sins by his death. He gives us access to the Father with confidence that we don't need to come fearing God's wrath, but instead knowing that God will accept us because he has accepted Jesus. Jesus sends his spirit so that we can have assurance that what we have now, life in the spirit, we will experience heaven forever. He is the down payment for our inheritance. And so we respond with grateful worship, saying to Jesus, not just today, but every day, worthy are you, Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you are the one who provides. We thank you for the many ways that you have done that in Jesus. 
And Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust. We are dependent upon you even for the ability to trust. Help us, Lord, to trust you day in and day out, whether that is for the first time or that is for the thousandth time that we would turn to you in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.